Last week, uh, Chris King was here doing communion meditation, and um, he basically teed me up so I could try to drive this ball down the fairway. If you missed last week, what Chris highlighted was remembering and forgetting. People like to blame their age for forgetting things. Have you done that recently? I don't know if it's, I think it's a convenient cop-out because I've raised four kids and kids are pretty good at forgetting things. I mean, you just tell them and 30 seconds later, it's gone. They either didn't hear you at all or they just put it out of their heads as soon as they, as soon as they heard it. It was, it's gone. Uh, I was a kid once, believe it or not, a few years ago. My mother was so frustrated with me, time after time, I got glasses when I was in the seventh grade. And I'd just take them off, and I'd set them down, and I'd go off and leave them somewhere. And I didn't know where they were, and I don't know how many pairs of glasses we had to go back and get. Uh, but it's a good thing I don't do that anymore. I mean, honestly, how many of you have reading glasses in every room of the house? Because you just don't know where you put them. Anyway, we forget stuff. My, but on the other hand, as we get older, our memories, certain memories, become more and more entrenched. My grandmother lived to be 103. And from the time I was a child, in, and she would have been in her, I don't know, 70s or something, she would tell me stories. She would recite poetry that she learned as a child. She would tell me all about the family farm growing up, how the first car she ever saw drive down the road. I mean, things like that, that she would re- recall even in her latter years, she would pick up the guitar and play. She would walk down into the, the, where uh, she lived in this retirement village get on the organ, and she would play without a hymnal. And then one song just merged into the, into the next. Always three flats. Always. Some things you just don't forget. We have things that we're good at remembering. We have things that we're prone to forget. The trouble is, as Chris pointed out, we have a tendency to remember the things we're supposed to forget, And we forget the things that we really should keep in the forefront of our mind and our heart. In the life of Countryside Christian Church, we are fast approaching, if not already here, to the end of a fiscal year. This is new to me. Fiscal year is starting in September. I was used to the January, December thing. So, Happy New Year, Countryside, right? (laughs) Here we are. New quarter, new year. And so next week, our annual congregational uh, lunch meeting, which, again, I really hope that you'll stick around for, is time to reflect on the last few months and to look forward to what has God, what God has in mind for us in the next year, which leads me to thinking about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a very long book. Let me explain why I went there. And I'm so glad for Aaron and Kaylin teaching our high school and middle school kids during Sunday school, while Kalen is with the middle school kids doing lessons through biblical doctrines and beliefs we hold to be true, Aaron's taking the high schoolers through Old Testament Bible books, and he's using the YouVersion Bible app. My girls have their phones out, and they're, they're reading. Every day, there's several chapters that, uh, that it's on the reading plan, and it's not just them reading it in a a reading plan. It's they're reading it together because there's a comment section. There's questions that they can ask and they can type it in and you can interact with each other. They're reading it on their own, but they're reading it together. 
And so um, recently they started uh, with Jeremiah. So they, they've gone through all 66 chapters of Isaiah. And as a dad, it does my heart good to see my kids on their mobile devices reading the Bible before school, before they go to bed. And it's, it, it's not an easy thing because it's several chapters a day. And then they're checking their progress and they're sharing their comments. Isaiah covers a lot of ground. Warning, judgment, prophecy in the first 39 chapters especially. And then the mood changes at chapter 40. It seems like a good place for us to go in light of this season of transition in the new fiscal year and forward-looking. God reminds us what to remember. He tells us what to forget. And in reading through chapters 40 through 46, he keeps us focused on what's most important. And don't worry, I'm not going to read it all to you. But I'd encourage you to pick that up and do it yourself. But one thing I've noticed about these chapters is how often God proclaims who he is. How often? As if he thinks we're going to forget. Oh, wait, we do. It, it runs as an undercurrent throughout this entire section, if not the whole book, but especially as I read through this, this section, I was, I, I was amazed to find out how often God refers to himself. And let me just give you a whirlwind tour, and the references are on the screen. You can jot them down if you like, but I'm just going to very quickly go through some of these, of these things. 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. 43.3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 43.10, O Israel, says the Lord, you are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been. There never will be. I, yes, I, the Lord, and there is no other Savior. 43.15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. 44.6, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God who is like me. 44.24, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer and creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? 45, 5, and 6. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. 45, 18. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. 45.21, there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Verse 22 as well, for there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God and there is no other. 
And 46.5, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Do you think he's trying to get something across to us? First and foremost, while it seems painfully obvious, I think it's worth our time to be reminded, to be encouraged, to remember first our God is the Lord, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He has no equal, no rival. He is our king, our savior, our kind and gracious master. It almost goes without saying, but if the Bible says it so often, we need to hear it often. There are way too many people, even in church, who do not acknowledge God in this way when it comes to how they operate day by day, guilty as charged. We all forget who is Lord, who is King, who is Redeemer, who is Creator when we make daily decisions as if there isn't a God up there somewhere. It's been said that too many Americans have been inoculated with a slight case of Christianity and it prevents them from getting the real thing. Perhaps this has something to do with how much of God people really want. I'm reminded of that old, that old clip by a guy named Wilbur Reese. Maybe you've heard it. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love someone whose skin is a different color or to pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And as individuals, if it's so easy to get off target as a church, we just all collectively run each other off the rails sometimes. Any church has a tendency to do this. It's so easy to stray from mission because we don't operate on what God wants as if he's the all-powerful first. It's easy. It's so easy to let people's opinion, my opinion, your opinion, dictate what a church should do. What we've always done gets the first look instead of what the Holy Spirit might want to do or what Scripture says or what is laid on our hearts. It's easy to submit to financial pressure or pleasing the comfort zones that we like to enjoy or those with heavy influence instead of seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's easy to forget who is first. First and foremost, countryside, as we close another year of ministry and open the door to another let us keep in mind, continue to remind ourselves who is Lord over the church and follow him. As the first of these values says, Jesus is the center. So what does God say concerning remembering and forgetting in light of that? Let's get back to what I was saying. Two things, at least Two things that I'll highlight anyway, that at first, when you read them, you seems, it seems contradictory. Two passages within three chapters of each other. Isaiah 43, 18 says, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland clearly referencing the coming Messiah. But he says, don't dwell, don't dwell, don't live in the past. 
Fast forward to chapter 46, verse 8. And he says this. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. So on the one hand, God says, forget the former things. Don't live in the past. And the other hand, he says, remember the former things. I am the Lord. There is no other. Which is it? Well, it's both. Because context, as Mark Scott used to tell me, is king. Context matters. What is surrounding these passages? What is it that God wants us to forget? What is it that he wants us to remember? Well, in short, in that chapter 43 passage, God doesn't want us to dwell in or live in the glory days. Because what he says right before this references how God took Israel out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea and them crossing out on dry land. An amazing miracle, one that was referenced a multitude of times, even in the New Testament. It's something worth remembering, but don't live there. Because, as God is saying, in comparison to the new thing that he's doing, you ain't seen nothing yet. There are many good things in the past worth remembering, celebrating, being thankful for. Just don't live there. Don't dwell there. Don't let the glory days take the glory away from what God is doing now and what he wants to do later. There's a reason, I've heard, that your windshield is a whole lot bigger than your rearview mirror. It's okay to look back, but you better look where you're going. An example of this is, um, remember that bronze snake that God made, that God wanted Moses to make as they were wandering in the wilderness? The rebellion of Israel was so great, God sent poisonous snakes into the camp and started biting people. People started dying, and Moses went to pray. And God said, make for yourself a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and all who look on that will live. Well, he did, and that's the way it happened. And so all that was done, and somebody said, hey, grab that snake off that pole. We need to keep that thing. Well, what was once meant to be a one-time miracle that God did something, and Jesus even referenced it in John, somebody kept that thing, and for hundreds of years, it's, it either stayed in a box or it stayed on, on display somewhere or it was a, had a plaque on it or something like that, and 700 years later, it's still front and center somewhere, and people are burning incense to it. Gave it a name. They're worshiping it as an idol, something God gave to save their lives. Now they're worshiping it apart from God. It became a stumbling block. And a king named Hezekiah went into that place, took it down, and broke it to pieces. You think he got in trouble for that? You think somebody might have got upset about that? They took something that God meant for deliverance and salvation and they took that thing that, and, and gave glory to that thing. They dwelt in the past. We've got to be careful. They worship the, we can't worship the memory. 
they, they were worshiping that instead of the Lord. We have to be careful what material things we elevate and revere in a church building, don't we? The good things, the memories, the weddings, the funerals, the baptisms, all wonderful stuff. But I used to tease the people at Galesburg that, you know, this place could burn down and we'd still be a church. This place probably will eventually burn down. I mean, everything's going to burn, right? Everything on this earth will be replaced with glory. So let's be careful how we get attached to the things of the earth, even though the things of the earth are attached to memories that are cherished and even have God as the center. We, we have to make sure that all the, the pieces of furniture and, and the buildings and the decor and the color of the carpet is all very secondary to the God who gave it all to be used for his glory alone. So don't, don't live in the past. Don't dwell. Forget the former stuff because it keeps you sometimes from remembering who's first, who's Lord. But what does he want us to remember of the former days, of the former things? He wants us to remember all those good times. He wants us to remember the victories, the, the struggles in light of who he is. What's the context of chapter 46, verse 8? Well, if you back up a few verses in verse 3, it says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all who remain in the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried you since your birth. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Basically, from birth until death, who's carrying, who's carrying me? Who's carrying you? It is the Lord. Through all of those experiences, through all of the memories, through all of the ups and downs of life, it is God who gives us legs and strength. It is God who, who carries us. So when you remember, remember with the God who made it possible. Remember with God in mind. Remember the God who carried you through that valley. That thing that you almost blamed God for and shook your fist at him. Remember that it was he who carried you in those times. His purposes made clear his will be done seeking his kingdom first and all these other things will be added to you and he finishes chapter 46 with a promise a warning and a grace verse 12 and it's kind of interesting to me that god isn't above name calling he's already called us rebels for one and then in verse 12, he says, Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted. Come on, you bullheaded people, you stiff nectar. Just, you know, get your head on straight. Listen to me, you who are far from righteousness. What's he going to do? I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to Israel. There are people to whom God's salvation needs to come. They need to know it. They need to believe it and they need to receive it. 
But as Romans 10 says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Everybody look down at the floor and look at your feet. You still got it. You brought them with you, didn't you? Oh, they brought you. Tell, tell the person next to you, you have beautiful feet. You have wonderful, beautiful, stinky feet. Those feet are the feet that take good news. Now take the, take the cards out of your bulletin, those little red things that you were handed when you came in. It's those feet that are going to carry, well, the hands will carry it, the feet will carry the hands. And, and, and you'll get to somebody who needs to have this. Last week I asked you to pray about who you might want to invite to church. And the invite cards are just another vehicle to be able to do that. But your feet and your hands and your mind and your mouth all have to work together by the Holy Spirit to be able to hand this to somebody and say, would you come to church with me on the 15th? And maybe, like the video, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's an immediate family member, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's somebody you just met because they're working on your house. <laughs> maybe it's somebody you know used to be here and isn't anymore for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's somebody that you've had on your heart for a long time and they are, are far from the Lord and they know it and you know it but it's just not something you want to talk about anymore because it's just hard. I want, I want these cards to not just invite someone to church. That's the first step. But really, when I talk about Back to Church Sunday, what I'd like this to be framed as in, in our conversations is Back to Jesus. Because when you invite someone to church, you're not just going to say, hey, how about you go to Countryside Christian Church on Sunday and then um, uh, maybe I'll talk to you about it later. <laughs> you want to say, hey, will you come with me to church on that Sunday? Would you sit with me when, I get, when we get there? Meet me in the parking lot. We'll sit together and, and I'll, I'll show you around if you've not been here before. And uh, if you've got kids, you know, Josie will take you to the nursery or their Sunday school or We'll figure it out, you know, show you where the bathrooms are and, and here's some coffee, you know, and grab, grab you a little brownie or something and just, we'll come in here and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sit through this together. And then take them to lunch. Talk about it later. Pray, pray about this. Because it, when you invite someone to Jesus, it's not just a one-time, one-service thing. You're inviting them to walk with you. Your beautiful feet, it's going to help them lead help lead them into a walk with Jesus. And it's going to be more than just a conversation. It could be a change in your friendship. It could be a, a, a transformation in your family. It could be a new day for eternity for that person, that family. Invite them to church, yes, but that won't save. Invite them to Jesus, who will and wants to save and pray for yourself as you hold that card the holy spirit has to do something in each of us 
in order to get that out. Take that card in your hand. We're going to pray before we do any inviting. God, thank you that your patience is long and that you um, want all people to have the chance to repent. You want all people to know you. And we, uh, many times, are the vehicle for them to be able to know you. We're the voice that, that, that they hear. We're the life that they see. We're the only Jesus that they see and the only Bible they read. And so help us to, um, to know who and to know when and to have the courage and the love to be able to invite someone, not just here, but on a journey perhaps that they've never been on. Guide us in your wisdom and in your power and in your strength to help continue to transform lives in this area through the ministries of this church and through relationships of people that call this place home. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray it. Amen.